Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm T- I'm David. I almost said I'm Tyler, but I'm David. I'm Tyler. <laughs> You're Tyler. Yes. Uh, I, I didn't think I was going to have to put the emphasis on that word when I say <laughs> it, but here we are. You'd think after all the years of doing this, I'd have it figured out by now. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna tell you. Uh, I'll tell you this for free. I have watched yeah. so few movies over the past two weeks. It's mostly uh, a function of. Um, it's mostly a function of work being completely insane for me. It is also partially a function of something I think we talked about. Um, with with Katie just the other day. Um, partially, it's a function of baseball being back. Like there are sure. like so many movies to, to watch, but I I feel like. There's something so comforting, I think, for some reason about watching baseball and hearing the fake crowd noise and and the corny announcers and stuff. Like I, I keep opting to just watch baseball instead of watching watching movies. Um, I also watch a lot of like sort of TV special things that I'm not really uh, uh, counting. Maybe I'll talk about those on the Patreon when we get to the sure. TV journal. Um, so I have I have watched stuff, but um, yeah, I only have three movies to talk about and uh luckily two of them are good unluckily we're starting with the third one uh okay. which is uh unju moon's i am woman which is a uh biopic of helen reddy who is uh best known for the song i am i am woman yeah. hear me roar um which is a, a good song and that's one of the best things going for the movie is that they clearly this is clearly an authorized biopic they got all the rights to all the songs yeah. and they let there are full song performances not quite like i wouldn't quite call the movie a musical but there are multiple times where the movie just sort of stops and you see um the the actress tilda cobham hervey uh whom i only knew from a small but memorable role in hotel mumbai a couple years ago um but uh she's actually she's quite good um and uh are you looking up the movie as i'm talking about it no i'm just okay. making sure we talked about this no i uh, was just making sure that the helen reddy that you're talking about the only aside from the song uh i only think of her as she was in pete's dragon the the original oh. and like that's where i that's where i know the name from and i was like that's the same woman that said yeah and yes it is huh. and it she does cover... she does what was that they didn't cover her movie career in the... Oh, uh, okay. Am. That's unfortunate, because I believe... Uh, I, I would need to look it up again, but I think there's a, she sings a song. Uh, okay. Well, there are multiple songs in Pete's Dragon, but one of them, I think, uh, was nominated for an Oscar, and I think she was part of uh, the writing team behind it. That's nice. Um, yeah, she was a, a songwriter as well as a, as a singer. Um, uh, the only little bit of movies we get is her her husband, uh, real life husband Jeff Wald, a uh, real character, a real person, played in this movie by Evan Peters, um, was a, a talent agent. He was her agent, but he was also an agent to a number of people, including Sylvester Stallone. Um, and there are, there are some references to Rocky Two. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> He's like riding high off the off the box office success of Rocky Two. 
when he shows up backstage at one of her concerts, you know, high on cocaine, which is the, the he's really getting to the, the, there are so many, um, the, the, the comparison I kept thinking of was Bohemian Rhapsody, another movie that sure. is to me completely eye rolling in, in how, how many of the sort of standard rock music biopic, like yeah. landmarks that it hits, but still has these performance scenes that are really good. Um, obviously the Bohemian Rhapsody ends with uh, the Live Aid performance, which is mm. terrific. And this one in a uh, very similar way ends with a recreation of a real performance at a 1999 uh, Now rally, National Organization of Women rally, which is sort of like 89 was like after her heyday, she was sort of like, uh, had, you know, her star had fallen a little bit. And so, uh, but her daughter is now, uh, you know, a grown up and an activist and is like, Hey, now wants you to come perform. And so she, uh, trucks out the song. I am one more time. And you see, uh, uh you know, all these uh, women singing along. And it was like, okay, like after, you know, an hour and 45 minutes of me, like, again, rolling my eyes most of the time, I did actually get kind of emotional at the, at the yeah. end. Like it does the performance as well. Tilda mm-hmm. Cummins, Herbie, um, even though it's not her singing, um, and I had uh, the name of the person who did the singing. It's in my review, but I can't remember it. Um, but uh, yeah, she performs those parts well. It's just uh, the the movie's just too standard, too ridiculous. You've got um, uh, uh, Daniel McDonald again, an actress that I like a lot. Um, she was Patty Cakes. You know, did you see Patty Cakes? I didn't, but I know about um, yes. She was Dumplin' in Dumplin'. Right. Did you see that? No. <laughs> Um, she was also, I think she's in bird box. Uh, I know oh, I saw okay. bird box, but it didn't stick with me, but, it, uh, yeah, she's in, uh, she's in bird box. Um, Chelsea Cullen is the woman who does the actual scene. Okay. Uh, I was, bamf- I was just vamping talking about Daniel McDonald. I <laughs> looked up her name, but, uh, Daniel McDonald, I've normally liked, but, um, the character, she's like the best friend. It's so ridiculous how, cliche and how much how much out of like a parody sure. sketch her character is who's and she's also based on a real person lillian roxon who wrote the encyclopedia of rock or the rock encyclopedia it was called um and is actually like as a music critic like a actually a pretty important figure that's mostly here she's just playing the best friend role where like she's got her shit figured out she's the yeah. confident uh, confident chick who's just here to help Helen get laid and assimilate into New York City because she's a fellow Aussie. That's the thing. Helen oh, okay. Reddy is Australian, so is Lynn Roxon, and they sort of bond over both being Australian. And she's just like the sassy best friend whose only goal in life is to help the protagonist yeah. until she's a supporting character but, in every sense <laughs> of the word. But then she she mutates into a different kind of uh sort of horny cliche uh character when tyler you start noticing she's coughing a little bit Uh oh <laughs> which only means one thing in the movie only one thing uh, um, <laughs> yeah um so uh it's weird because she had colon cancer but hey if, if it's cancer <laughs> it's coughing <laughs> but um yeah so it's it's too bad it's definitely not it's nearly a full two hours it's like an hour and 52 minutes or something it's uh overstuffed the um 
the production design and costumes are like clearly they spent a lot of money, which isn't the same as it being good because yeah. it looks kind of like it's like wow that looks expensive, but it doesn't look like it looks like you're playing. It looks like this is a, a photo shoot for a magazine. Yeah. It doesn't look like an actual lived-in version of Los Angeles in the 1970s or whatever. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's uh, not good. Can't recommend it. I am woman. Okay. Cannot recommend. All right, I watched a movie on uh, on Old Canopy, which has such a such a wonderful selection of classic films. Uh, I watched. There are multiple directors, so I'm just going to say Ealing's Dead of Night. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but no, that's uh, not one of the Ealings I've seen. It is. Uh, it's delightful in many ways. Uh, it it features a, a group of people uh, gathered in a in a house, and then uh, they're all friends. And then this guy who comes in, who's basically a stranger, and yet he dreams that he has meant he's met all of them before in this capacity. And so uh, the character's like, "Oh, this is all. That's all very strange." And so he starts to predict what each one is going to do, and there and all of them think like oh this is such a strange and funny thing uh but there's uh, among the friends is like this german psychiatrist who just keeps finding rational explanations but then each person takes a turn talking about very strange like psychic uh or or supernatural experiences they've had and so you you know so each of these little um vignettes are directed by a different a different director and so uh certainly it does f- feel a little bit patched together tonally, but it's supposed to like some of them are shorter. Some of them are longer. And then one of them, it turns out is essentially just like a joke that someone is, is, is actively telling to lighten the mood. And it's just, it's, it's not officially a comedy. There are moments that are meant to be, you know, creepy and they are, but it still has that vibe, that Ealing vibe. I know Ealing wasn't pre- predominantly, you know, wasn't only comedy, the, that tends to be what people associate with it. And it has that kind of, that kind of cheekiness. Um, and indeed, uh, Charles uh, Crichton directs one of them. Uh, okay. He's the one that directed, uh, yeah. uh, he directed the, com- the more overtly comedic one. And uh, it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun. I can't really go into a lot more detail than that, except that it's just, uh, it was 1945. Uh, if, uh, if I had seen it in time for our, uh, our recent Patreon episode in which we talk about our favorite movies in 1945, it might've been included because just it's, even though it's, it's, it's all these different, uh, all these different films, just, it feels so fun and consistent tonally. And it just, in the end, it really does feel like a, you and a bunch of your friends telling these goof, the, these odd stories about like, oh, well, you think that's strange. Let me tell you this. Uh, and it's, uh, it's well written and, and delightfully acted. And, uh, and it's, just a, it's just a fun time. What are you furrowing um, your brow about? Uh, just a quick heads up to you and to the listeners. You're having some connection issues on, I think on your end. Oh, okay. Uh, you keep, uh, stutter. I don't know if it's, I can never be sure what the recording is actually picking up. Um, yeah. so I don't know if the, if they're hearing it, but you, you've occasionally gone like robot voiced and then like quickly caught up. Oh, um, okay. it's happened like three times. Um, oh, all right. So, I'll keep that in mind. Uh, yeah, let's just be on the lookout. All right. Um, uh, moving on to uh, 
yeah, saw a movie, um, uh, a new movie on, on Netflix that I, I wanted to see and my wife wanted to see. Um, only one of, a, one of us ended up liking the movie, and that was me. Okay. I, we watched uh, Charlie Kaufman's new film, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Okay. Oh, my God. It's, it's very, very good, but also um, very, very sad. Uh, sometimes quite um, creepy, kind of un- unsettling. Um, and it also is, uh, I mean, this feels like it's been over two decades since uh, since being John Malkovich. It feels like certain things you say about Charlie Kaufman are, are, are cliches at this point. But I, it it is a movie that I would have difficult, I feel like I'm going to have difficulty actually describing without sort of giving away, but I don't even know if giving away is, uh, uh, despite the fact that my wife didn't like it nearly as much as I did, we did end up talking about it like half an hour for like half an hour after the movie, uh, ended. Um, and so I feel like I now have an interpretation of what happened in, in the movie, which is not, uh, uh, it's, this is not the type of movie that like you're supposed to solve or anything like that. Right. But you know, you, you, you come up with your sort of pet theories about, about what's going on um, yeah, in the movie. But I feel like I can't say what that is because that might inform how someone else's cells watches the movie. So I'll say the movie is about a, a couple who are dating played by Jesse Buckley and Jesse Plemons. And um, they are on their way uh from an unspecified city to the uh, um, farmhouse where Jesse uh, Plemons' character grew up. Jesse Buckley is going to meet her boyfriend's parents for the first time. And so um, uh, uh, the movie sort of um, divided into, I would say, four sort of chapters. There's the drive there. There's the dinner at uh, at the house where um, Jesse Plum's parents are played by uh, David Thewlis and Tony Collette. Hmm. Great. Like, uh, yeah. So right now you've got like a four-legged table here that's four fantastic actors. Um, by the way, that four-legged table, table thing, I can't remember. Have I, I talked about that oh, yeah, I was I say, on the podcast before? Undoubtedly, yes. Oh, okay. Well, um, should I say it again? It's, it's Tom Sizemore saying, I'm not going to fuck up your table, well, Oliver, right? <laughs> well, it's it's Oliver Stone talking about the idea of his cast of, of in, in natural born killers, his cast of Woody Harrelson, Juliet Lewis, Robert Downey Jr. And Tommy Lee Jones as mm-hmm. being a sturdy four legged table and, and him describing it that way to Tom Sizemore and yeah, Tom Sizemore saying, don't worry, I'm not going to fuck up your table. But I still <laughs> like, as much as that makes me laugh, I still do think of like, for some reason when a cast, when a cast has like, four pillars i feel like that's a good number that's a good number to like carry a movie you know for sturdy uh sturdy actors so i still think of that four-legged table thing so anyway um so the first act is to drive there uh the second act is is the um the the dinner slash the evening uh, at at the farm the third act is the drive back which then gets waylaid into a fourth act that i won't um go into um but uh, the movie is narrated, I guess, by Jesse Buckley. It's her sort of inner monologue mm-hmm. that you um, that that you hear uh, throughout, and that you um, 
experience through you experience everything sort of through her eyes uh for the most part um but uh we don't know who's if it's hard to talk about uh her perception um things change over the course of the movie um jesse Plemons' parents are different ages in different scenes um she jesse buckley might have different earrings on uh she says contradictory things about what her job is and we don't know uh, you, you know what what this perception shift in perception means or at least i have an idea at the end but the movie doesn't explain why these hmm. why the facts uh, uh are changing the the important thing is that the phrase i'm thinking of ending things is in the the monologue the narration from the beginning this is she's on the way to meet her boyfriend's parents for the first time already knowing like, you know, on, on the drive home, you hear her say, this is probably the last time I'll be in a car with Jake mm-hmm. because she knows she's planning on breaking up with him. And so that sort of hangs over uh, uh, everything and sort of the idea that Jesse Plum's character is anticipating, you know, he knows her well enough to know it knows something's wrong, uh, adds a sadness, but also a defensiveness within, which then makes you go like, you know, maybe she should break up with this guy. Like, yeah. um, uh, I, I'm getting too far into, into the weeds um, with the with the description here. Uh, what I really want to say is the movie is in that Charlie Kaufman way, um, often very very funny, um, also sad and scary. There's uh, something I won't describe um, about uh, Jesse Plemons' parents' dog that is um, very upsetting, uh, mm. <laughs> and that I keep thinking about when I look at my own dog now. Um, uh, uh, also there are, um, sort of literary diversions that like some of which I, I know enough about a writer to know like, Oh, Charlie Kaufman is just, uh, or maybe Jesse Buckley's character is just lifting this entirely from a pre-existing, pre-existing material. There are some that I don't know, but once I realized that was happening, I was like, Oh, I bet that poem was probably you know, not written for the movie. That's probably some other poem that she's claiming is uh, her own. Um, and all of this means something. Um, uh, I, I, I swear. Um, but you're, uh, if you're, you know, if you're like me and you like Charlie Coffin movies, you will like this. Uh, if you're like uh, my wife and you feel that over the course of your life of consuming uh, narrative art, you've had, more than your fill of depictions of sad men, (laughs) sad white men, especially Uh, you might uh, grow a little uh, too impatient with Jesse Plemons character. But um, uh, I I really, really dug it. Um, Look forward to, to watching it again. Actually, it's one of those, one of those type movies, although it's actually, it's it's like two hours and 20 minutes long. It's, it's, it's quite long, Hmm. but um, worth it. I remember uh, there's an episode of uh, Community where uh, a character named Abed is a uh, is a filmmaker and he's making a movie that's extremely meta and stuff. And one of the other characters is like <laughs> is is talking about the nature of his of his uh, film and and she <laughs> she then references Charlie Kaufman and she's like. And she sums up by saying, some of us have work in the morning. Damn, you know? (laughs) So, uh, okay. So uh, the next film for me um, is going to 
the pronunciation here is going to be a little bit rough for me. I think uh, Cyrus uh, Naraste's Infidel, starring uh, Jim Caviezel. Um, I just posted a, a review of it on BattleshipPretension.com. Um, it's unfortunate because the the publicity people reached out to me in particular because uh, some of the people behind the movie like some of my. Uh, sensibilities as a as a christian and as a conservative and uh so given that it's unfortunate that i did not like the movie really very much at all um it's and i think because it's just it's trying to do too many things like it clearly i I think one of the executive producers was like dinesh d'souza it's like okay well i know that that's not going to be great um from a, from a thematic standpoint. Well, you know what? Like, even if I'm in sympathy with its themes, I know that it's not going to convey them in a way that I'm on board with uh, narratively. And so there's a conservative quality to it. There's a Christian quality to it. And it just seems at all times to be reacting to, it's almost like, Hey, we know how, we know how like left-leaning Hollywood would tell a story like this, but we're telling in a different way. It's like, okay, good for you. What way are you going to tell it? Stop trying to, stop focusing on what someone else would do and do it your own way. And Mm -hmm. that's the thing is they're so focused on trying to, trying to sort of subvert your, your political expectations that they forget to do this thing well. And it's about this, it's apparently based on a true story of uh, this uh, American writer who is also a Christian played by uh, Jim Caviezel, who is uh, at a conference in Cairo and he's on a TV show and he speaks openly about his, uh, his faith at which point he is abducted and held a prisoner until he can, because there's suspicion that he is like actually undercover CIA um, because his wife worked in the state state department anyway. Um, so that's the, that's the essential story. And what I will say is the guy who the actor who plays his captor is uh, named Hal uh, Ozen and he's great. Like, I'm he's been in a bunch of stuff. I'm, I'm largely unfamiliar with him. He's, he's British. Um, but, uh, he really brings a sense of humanity to his character and you don't expect that from sort of the villain, uh, of a movie like this. But, uh, what I will say is that I usually like Jim Caviezel, but man, I don't know what he is doing Hmm. in this movie when I, by which I mean, not, not, not like what's he doing in this movie as in, why is he in it? I understand why he's in it, but I don't understand the choices he's making. Right. He is like playing, you know, once, once his character is abducted and he's being tortured and all that, like, okay, that I get, but he's playing that beat the whole movie. Even when he's just like hanging out with his wife casually uh, before <laughs> all of that. And I'm like, what, it, this is crazy. Like you got to leave yourself somewhere to go. Um, and so it's just, and that's the thing is like, it, it seems to want to explore some kind of level of Christianity. Uh, but it also, but that's the thing is, and this is where uh, I might be overgeneralizing a bit. You have a character who is ostensibly being persecuted for his beliefs, which can happen in other countries, certainly. Um, and yet 
the film also wants to be sort of a more standard conservative minded like action thriller and those two things don't actually go together and it winds up being sort of at war with itself and i think that's the problem when it's when it's only when you're only making movie in reaction to something you're probably not going to be super focused on what you're trying to do because you don't know what you're trying to do. So it really, it really bummed me out because the production value is there. Um, the, the performances are there except Jim Caviezel, but even then, like once the movie catches up to what he's doing, what he's doing, uh, then he actually does quite well. But I just think thematically it's really muddled. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's a bummer because I, I think there's a good way to do what it's doing. And, uh, but this isn't the way to do it. All right. Finally, uh, I watched some of you can read my review, um, on, uh, at Battleship Retention, uh, right now. Uh, I watched Antonio Campos, the devil all the time, mm. uh, new, newly out on Netflix this week. And, uh, I, I, I know Antonio Campos is a well-regarded director. Uh, he made after school and Simon killer and Christine in 2016, not the killer car movie. Um, the one about the, true story uh oh, right, very upsetting yes. uh but i never saw any of those um now i want to see them because i was very pleasantly surprised by the devil all the time although pleasant is not the right word for this movie mm-hmm. <laughs> um uh and i also said this is uh, you know i uh things i can't predict about movies because my okay. mind doesn't work that way. I'm never able to predict uh, to predict how a movie's going to do in the box office. I have I, I have a terrible sense of that. I apparently also have a terrible sense of, um, or, or at least a not always well calibrated sense of how other critics feel about movies. Because I spent uh, again, this is very similar to I'm thinking of anything. Things it's about two hours and twenty minutes long, which is a lot for this movie uh, for what goes on to it. But I spent so much of it thinking like. Oh, people are going to hate this. People are not going to get this movie. They are going to hate it. And uh, some people do, but uh, a surprising number of people to me, surprising to me at least, uh, don't. It's led to that. Um, God, was it a couple of episodes ago we were talking about. Um, um, for some reason, we were talking about Rotten Tomatoes scores. Uh, maybe this is actually with Katie. Um, and how often, oh yeah, how often like the movies that I, that I really respond to end up with, with Rotten Tomato scores in like the 60s. Yeah. And that's where, that's where this one is uh, right now. It seems to be that perfect level of divisiveness because um, when I tell you The Devil All the Time is a violent movie, I don't want you to be thinking that it's an action movie. This is not John Wick violent. Um, this is a bleak picture of humanity in which the characters seem to exist almost exclusively to do violence to one another and then justify it to themselves with increasingly sort of perverted interpretations of Christianity. This is a, um, uh, I would call it a Southern Gothic movie. It takes place in Ohio. So I guess in my review, I called it Appalachian Gothic. Um, um, uh, but it has that that feel of of just being a uh, real sort of dark and heavy and bleak, but also kind of funny a, a little bit in a very very upsetting way. Um, uh, it also has just 
uh, I'm glad I didn't look, uh, I'm going to ruin it for you, uh, Kevin and the listeners, but I'm glad I didn't look up who was in the movie beforehand. I knew that Robert Pattinson was in it. Um, but this cast, Robert Pattinson, Tom Holland, Bill uh, Skarsgård, uh, Riley Keough, always a great, uh, very mm-hmm. welcome uh, presence for me. Harry Melling, Sebastian Stan, Mia Vashikovska, also always a great uh, presence for me. Uh, Jason Clark and some other actors that I recognize but didn't know their names. Um, and they just like the movie is such a sprawling sort of ensemble in many ways and also takes place over the course of so many decades that uh, characters just like pop up like uh you'd be you're like halfway through the movie and you're like oh shit sebastian stands in this um, yeah. and, and um but then there are other characters who you who pop up early on and you're like oh so-and-so's in this and then two scenes later oh no they're not anymore <laughs> um uh that's a part of the movie is sort of uh, uh this is almost a spoiler to say but part of the movie's very dark sense of humor is that if you think a character might be in a little bit of danger, they're probably about to die. Yeah. Um, and probably in some very upsetting, uh, upsetting way. Um, it's a, it's a brutally violent movie it is definitely, I will warn people of this because this is a warning that I like to give to people who care about this, uh, because I am upset by it too. If you're, uh, even simulated cruelty to animals, there's a very sad animal death, uh, in, in the movie that, um, uh, uh, definitely shook me. But, um, uh it 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 really seems like a, a movie to get to um the 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 movie's sort of outlook uh is that it seems to be it's not an it's not an anti-christian movie it seems to be examining christianity put into practice from a sort of outsider's viewpoint so it's not Mm. condemning these people but it's sort of coming from a point of view of uh i would say a probably a non-believer's point of view um the the tone of the movie and it's very sort of uh very violent but very darkly comic thing reminded me of preacher the uh the comic book and the tv show which i only watched one episode of but it reminded me of preacher but the difference is in preacher god definitely exists that's a big part of the story here there's no evidence of god or the devil right about people and how they are uh motivated by their belief or more often how every person's ideation of god in the movie at least is just a way of it's almost self deification that they're that sure. that it's all about just uh uh defining god in a way that lets me get let, lets me let myself off the hook for giving into my worst impulses you know yeah. um uh, uh so um um but that so, so I, I, I find that very interesting. That sort of is a very, I think, Southern Gothic type of thing. It's it's not just Christianity. A lot of it is the Pentecostal type of stuff. Harry Milling's character is uh, a preacher. He's not a uh, rattlesnake preacher. He's a poisonous spider preacher. He he po- he dumps poisonous spiders on himself in front of the congregation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I forgot. There's another reason you will find it upsetting. Um, now, is uh, the cruelty to animals? Is it like all of those spiders are set on fire? Because I'm no, on, I would say, I'm on board with that. Um, actually, it was uh, visually the movie uh, shot by Lowell Crawley, who um, also shot 45 Years and a couple years ago shot Vox Lux. Which uh, talk about a movie. We should do a whole episode on movies we didn't like the first time we saw them and have come around on. Okay. Because Vox Lux, I uh, 
didn't like it, but kept thinking about it. And I was like, I need to watch this again. I watched it again. Sure. And I was like, all right, I still get what I didn't like about it, but uh, man, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the movie. A lot of it is low quality cinematography. And cinematography is great in Devil all, all the time as well. But yeah, the one visual actually, the one, the one uh, uh, visual part I didn't like is how clearly fake the spiders are when Harry Melling uh, pours them on him uh, on himself. Uh, well, that's, um, like, that's something, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that might help you help it go down a little a little smoother. Um, but. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. There's something you can read my review for more of my uh, thoughts on how um, the movie, um, h- how the movie sort of depicts, uh, again, not Christianity itself, but I guess depicts belief in being where it's set. Uh, it is, uh, uh, Christianity is the. Uh, the 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 excuse or maybe the it's what people channel their worst impulses uh sure. through um uh last thing i'll say is the the movie's based on a novel and the novelist himself narrates the movie as a third person uh narrator which hmm. is um which is which is delightful and clearly uh there's th- there's uh, one of the sort of sense of humor things I liked about the movie is that the movie takes place from the forties, forties, fifties, and sixties over a long period of time. It, it the narration feels very current, so it does mm-hmm. feel like someone from the modern day telling you this story. Um, one part is uh, I will spoil that uh, Harry Melling does actually end up getting bit by one of the poisonous spiders, and uh, his sort of way of. Uh, because clearly this means that God has disapproved of something that he right. has done. So he locks himself in a closet for two weeks. And uh, the narrator says that he comes out smelling worse than a truck stop shitter. 